0: your time, as they say in the army, hurry up and wait, um, but we're going to start, so just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a journey here, uh, like the process that I go through in, in uh, teaching is that I, I pray, okay, I ask the Lord what he wants to say, and then I spend time trying to understand what it is that he's saying, and the reason that I do that is because you're Jesus' people, and this is his church, Correct? And so it's important for me to give Jesus what he wants and to lead you and teach you in a way that uh, is effective from the Lord's heart. So that being in mind, I feel like he gave me a, a direction to go in and uh, I started developing this direction. And as I was developing the direction that we were going in, I felt like the Lord was telling me to back up. And so last few days I've been praying and trying to figure out what it is he's trying to tell me. And I heard the Lord saying to me, I want you to lay a foundation of truth before you go there. And so the next, this week we're going to talk about doing a series, going to do three teachings on the revelation of truths. And they're just truths from the scripture that uh, are necessary for the Christian to understand. And next week we're going to talk about Mother's Day. And then following the revelation of truth, probably starting in the month of June, we're going to do a series that um, if you can understand this series, this is really going to empower you. The series that we're starting in month of June is going to be called Kingdom Culture. And while we've taught that before, I've modified it a little bit. And uh, we've moved past the beta test phase into more of a, an effective uh, way of teaching. So that, that understanding of the culture of God's kingdom and how it relates to us is very important. And that's going to start in June. But we're doing a series on truth and truths that must be understood. And the first question would come to mind is, what the heck is truth, right? If you understand the Bible, when Jesus was in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pilate, the Roman governor, was talking to him, he basically asked the Lord, what is truth? Why would Pilate ask such a question? What is truth? Because he was in a culture where truth had become relative. What is relativism? And what's happened in our culture and in our society is that truth is we we are, we are under a blanket of what would be called moral relativism and also society uh, relativism. And what that simply means is relativism means what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is what's right for me. And what's right for you may not be right for me, but you got no right to tell me what's right and wrong. That's essentially what relativism is. You know, it's God as I understand him to be. If I think God's a tree, well, you're no one to tell me that God's not a tree because God's a tree to me. That's what relativism is. Relativism is, well, I believe there is no God. And I believe I have the power to determine whether there is no God. That's what really... What, what's happened and this line of thinking is very dominant within our culture. This is what what's, what's, our culture moves on these waves. And this level of waves have moved into the church to where there's been a whole wave of relativism within the body of Christ. And we have a generation that is being taught, there's, they have no grid for truth. The Bible does not work off of relativism. It works off of truth, right? And as difficult it are for those truths to understand, those truths are the reality of the kingdom. So we're going to talk about truths, and today we're going to talk about, my goal is to hit you through all three of these first three, God is a trinity, man, his purpose, and creation, and what sonship and daughtership and obedience looks like. These are truths that have to be understood. And they have to be understood because the only way we activate our inheritance is through understanding what truth is and walking in truth. John said, I have no greater love than to know that my children are walking in truth. Jesus prayed, come on. Jesus prayed, and he said, Father, sanctify them or set them apart. He was praying for you. He was praying for them at the time, and he's praying for future generations. Set them apart according to truth. And he said, what is it? And so and he answers what truth is, your word is truth. And so when we understand these truths, it's going to be a little academic, which is good. So it's going to give us some understanding. And I'm going to give you the whys. Oftentimes we're told the what's, but we're not told the wise. So in the beginning, God, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, say this with me, the Bible does not explain God. The Bible declares him. Very important concept to know. The Bible makes no attempt to explain Him. It. it just declares him. He is love, declaration. In the beginning, God, no explanation at all. It just declares him. It's a declaration of who he is makes no explanation for him, simply declares him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This word for God, so we're gonna understand who God is from the language that he uses. The word for God in the Hebrew is a plural word. It is the word Elohim, Elohim. It is a plural word, it's a compound unity. So in the beginning, God, meaning three in one, this is significant because what's significant to understand is that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a tr- He's a triune God. He's declared it from the very first verse in the scripture that he is plural. It differentiates Christianity from any and all religions on the planet. Islam says Allah and the prophet Muhammad. Uh, in, uh, uh, Hinduism says multiple gods. In many facets, in many ways, and all these different things. The Bible says that the gods of men are false, and the gods of men are empowered by devil spirits or fallen angels. While there's power in these false religions, that power does not have its origins in the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that. Elohim, this idea of a compound god or a, a god that is father, son, and spirit, is rooted in Judaism. It goes all the way back to the writings of Jude. In other words, God took this people, and as he taught these people, these Jews, about himself, one of the things he imparted to them was the understanding that he was a trinity. You say, well, why don't they believe that now? Because that's a very difficult thing for them to accept. To accept that Christ, God, is a trinity means they must accept the Son. To accept that God is a trinity means they must accept the Spirit. This has been such a difficult concept to, Jew, to Jewish people that their rabbis have changed the name of Elohim. They don't even, they use, they don't even use it. They use the word Elianu. They alter the word. But the ancient texts of Hebrew all use the word Elohim. This idea was so profound that God wanted to instruct His people that He is Father, Son, and Spirit that He gave them a saying called the Shema. Anybody know the Shema? Anybody? shema israel the lord your god is one here got hero israel the lord your god is run deuteronomy they were to say, were to, six four they were to say this saying three times a day not once not twice not four times not six times three times why because god was reinforcing the idea here listen pay attention this is important that's what he's saying shema israel the lord your god is one adonai elohim is a compound unity Well, what's so important? Okay, everybody, it's like, God's going to give us a mind bomb. Hold on, here comes the mind bomb. Let's listen. God is one. Well, there's nothing significant about that. But what is significant is when God says, listen, I want you to understand. I'm three, but I'm one. Three distinct persons, one in mind, one in heart, one in purpose, one in intention. I'm three, but one. Now, that's pretty profound. That would tell you a lot of different things. And so this idea of Elohim and God being a trinity is important. We say, well, what does that relate to me? Why is that important? It's important because it differentiates Christianity. It's important the second thing is because it makes you understand that Jesus Christ is God. He was part of the trinity from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an essence. He is God. He is the representation of the trinity. Jesus said, Jesus is also the representation of the Trinity. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus isn't a created angel. He's not a man who became God and ascended unto Godhead. He was God from the beginning. God who humbled himself and took on human form. He made himself into a, into a man. He was always, but he formed himself a body and stepped into it through Mary. See, how can he do that? Because he's God. What spins the earth on anything? Have you ever looked up in the stars? How is any of this stuff possible? Look around you. These things are, these impossibilities are possible because this world, this universe was created by an impossible God who was able to do the impossible. So when we understand that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we should have no no confusion about whether or not Jesus Christ is God or not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's it talking about? Jesus is embodying himself as the word. Jesus is God. The Bible says all things were made through him and by him and for him. And without him, nothing exists that exists. He's God. Holy Spirit is God. And what it teaches us, not only that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, but when we understand the Trinity, we understand the nature of God himself. God's nature is revealed in his personhood. In the personhood of the Trinity, to understand and to meditate on what the Trinity is and this God that is this is three, and to understand how they operate within their structure, it is a consistent system of servitude and honor. The Godhead does not exist in self-exaltation. In other words, the Father isn't constantly exalting himself over the Son, and the Son is exalting himself over the Father. It is a consistent system of each person of the Godhead submitting one to the other, serving one another, and exalting one another. You see it all the way throughout. The Father, the Son, submits to the plan of the Father. The Father says, listen, I'm going to deem what the plan is. And the Son says, I'll submit to it, and I'll do it. And so he submits to it and he does it. Then the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to submit to the Son and I'm going to enact this plan. I'm going to empower the very thing that the Son did. And what happens in return? The Father now exalts the Son. You see? He doesn't, the, the Son takes the position of servitude and in doing so, then the Father comes beneath the Son and exalts him and he says, Your throne, O God, is exalted forever. At the name of Jesus, every name will be on, every tongue will confess. Not at the name of the Father, he gave it to Christ. He ex- because Jesus humbled himself, their co equal Godhead, but because Jesus humbled himself and became a servant and served the will of the Father, the Father wanted to bring his creation back to him. And he said, Here's the plan. And the only way this plan's going to work is if it goes like that. And Jesus said, I'll do it, I'll submit to it. And the Spirit comes in and says, Well, if you're going to do that, then I'll come around and I'll do this. And because Jesus did that, your throne, O God, is exalted forever. All judgment is committed to the Son. The Father will not judge at the end of the age. He's committed it unto the Son. Jesus will judge the world. Jesus will judge the nations. Jesus will judge each individual as they come before him in relationship to the sacrifice that he made and what they did with it. Whether they received it, whether they rejected it, what their intentions were behind it, everything. All judgment belongs to the Son. The Father has given him that honor. And the Holy Spirit comes beneath and serves the Son. And what does Jesus say because of his servitude? Powerful, powerful stuff. Jesus said, all blasphemy against the Father will be forgiven. All blasphemy against the Son will be forgiven. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. In other words, you can talk about all you want about the Father. You talk all you want about the Son, no problem. But don't you dare say anything bad about the Holy Spirit. Why? Jesus exalted him to a position of honor because of the level and the depth of the servitude that he operated from. And when we understand this, we understand the nature of our God. Our God is a serving God. Our God is an honoring God. It is what he does. And we, as his children, are to operate according to his nature, one to the other with radical servitude, one to the other with radical honor. That's how we're to interrelate with one another. That's actually how we're to relate to him. We're to relate to him with radical servitude. Your will be done, whatever you want. We're to operate with towards him with radical honor. We're to exalt him. We're to praise him. We're to thank him in good and in bad. That's what it looks like. So, when you understand the Trinity, you're going to understand a whole lot about who God is. And you understand that it's a radical system of servitude and it's a radical system of honor, one to the other. And when the church gets that, she's going to be an unstoppable force. When we understand that we are to honor one another, when we understand that we are to serve one another in such a radical degree, power will be released. Jesus said, they're going to know your mind. By what? By the way you what? Love one another. What does it mean? Love is the submission of servitude. Where there is no servitude, there is no love. Love is not an emotion. It is an action. It is an action of submission in servitude towards another. The Bible defines love as submission to enacting to, the highest good. The highest word for, for love in the Bible is agapeo, and it means to seek the highest good. So God so loved agapeo, he humbled himself, came on the cross, died, what? To seek your highest good. To take you from the low point that through him he would put you to the high point. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? This is who he is. And if we understand him, we understand who we are. And if we understand who we are, we can begin to actually act like we're supposed to act and be who we're supposed to be. Radical in servitude, radical in honor, releasing power, and authority through those concepts, encouraging one another. And he says, what man is made in the likeness, and image and likeness of God? You see the picture? God is so full of love, he needed to create an object of love. And guess who that is? That's you. Raise your hand and say, I am the object of Jesus' love. Now raise both hands if you want it, if you want it, and say, pour it out, Lord. (laughs) You want it? You were created to be the object of his love. That is the point of your creation, to be loved of the Father, to allow him to seek your highest good, and in seeking your highest good, becoming transformed into his image and likeness, and then therefore living from the transformed place of the image and likeness of Christ. I know that's a very complicated thing I just said, but if you understand, if you, it's kind of, I use that's a little wordy, but the idea is that we are to receive his love, we are the benefactor. He is the benefactor, and we are the beneficiaries. You're created to be blessed. It doesn't get any simpler than that. You're created to be blessed. Let the Lord bless you. Sometimes the difficulty in your life is not a pain. It is a blessing because God is harvesting the wheat from your life. He is pressing the grapes from your life. He's trimming the unfruitful branches from your life. He's chiseling the stone of who you are. He's shaping who you are. This is what the Lord is doing. And what feels like pain to us is actually a molding process. What feels like pain to us is God actually chiseling you and shaping you into his image and likeness. Things leave your life because it's unfruitful. He cuts it off. Every unfruitful branch he cuts off. The father prunes the branches. Pruning, the rules of pruning, dead, dying, diseased. Anything that's dead, dying, or diseased, you break it, or dead, dying, broken, or diseased, something like that, I'll get the other one. The fourth one is growing back in on itself. Any branch that grows back in on itself, this is where it gets painful. Don't we love the branches that grow back in on ourselves? Oh, it's all about me. Oh, yeah. Bring those branches right back in here. This is awesome. The Lord trims the branches that are grow back in on themselves. A tree cannot be fruitful if it has branches growing back in on themselves. Watch fruit farmers all the time. Any branch that grows back in, they cut it. Because that makes the tree grow outward and bear fruit. This is what the Father is doing in our life. We are created in his image and likeness. We are the objects of his love. We're created like him. We were made triune. You are spirit, soul, and body. And you only really understand that until you become born again. You don't don't understand that until you're born again. Why? Because you're spiritually dead. You have no concept of the spirit. Oh, you think people are like, oh, I'm spiritual. You're not spiritual until you come to Christ. You don't know the spirit until you come to Christ. You have some form or some facet of some vague understanding of what you think spirit is, but you do not know the Holy Spirit. You do not know the power of the spirit. You do not know the kingdom or the realm of the spirit. You don't even have the potential to know it until you come to Christ. You're created in the image and likeness of God. So what does it look like? It looks like soma. Soma is the word for body. So God creates a body. And into the body, he brings life. What kind of life? Bios is the first form of life. Life to the body itself. When your spirit leaves your body, your body has no life in it, right? It's just a, you know, they could, in a couple hours, they could use you to drive nails. You know, you're, you get rock hard. You know, put your body to use. You know, you're not there anyway, so may as well, somebody might want to use it for something, you know. Life comes into us, so he creates the soma. He puts life in the body, in the bios. He puts life in the soul. So here's what we have to understand. We have to understand the parts of our being. If we can understand the parts of our being, we can understand how we're made. If we can understand how we're made and how God made us, we can begin to operate according to how we're made. You understand that? People say oftentimes, well, I don't like this. I don't like that. Well, you don't get to choose. God made you a certain way. I think I want to put diesel in my car. Well, my car is a gasoline motor. I didn't build the motor, so guess what? I don't get to determine what goes in the motor. You know why? Because I didn't build it. If I built it, it might be a greasel. Maybe I'll be running on, uh, you know, French fry grease or something. You know what I mean? Then I got a chance because I built it, so now I get to determine what it runs on. We run on what the designer has called us to run on. We don't get to choose that. So, if we understand how we're made, what he made us, and then we can operate that way. So, there's life in the bios, there's life in the suke, the psyche, which is your mind, will, and emotions. Your mind, will, and emotions are not your spirit. Say that with me. My mind, my will, and my emotions are not my spirit. Then there's life in the pneuma, which is the word for spirit. Your spirit makes you who you are. We are all equal in three of these. We are not equal in the third and the fourth one. We all have a body. We all have bios or life in the body. At least everybody's breathing. You know, if I see my, I think you're sleeping. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not breathing. So if somebody starts sleeping, we put mirror under, see if it fogs. But the point is we all have a body. We have life in our body. We all have a soul, but your spirit is what makes you you. It's what makes you unique. It makes you different. And here's the big point. Who you were created to be by the Spirit, in the Spirit, you will never know until you connect to the author of life by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into you, and you become self-actualized. You actually can now reach the potential of your creation. Without the Holy Spirit, you have no hope. No hope of ever becoming the person that you were created to be. None. Why? Because the life comes from the Spirit. Holy Spirit comes into you, you have a personality, and the Holy Spirit ignites the personality. Next slide, I'll show you. And the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. What happened? He forms the Soma. He creates a body. He breathes the Spirit into the body. So God forms man, squeezes man from the earth, etches woman from the rib, creates them differently and unique, but breathes breath into Adam. And in breathing the breath, the breath of the flame, the fire of the Spirit ignites the soul. Adam awakens to the person that he is, and his mind comes alive, his emotions come alive, and his will comes alive. Because God breathed into him. What does that teach us? It teaches us that life comes from the Spirit and by the Spirit of God. In other words, there's no life outside of the Holy Spirit. You may be physically alive, you may be emotionally alive, you may have some spiritual awareness, but you're not living because that life that we draw from is in the Spirit. You were created and designed by the Creator to not live according to your emotions, to not live according to your body, but to live according to His Spirit. From the very beginning, man was dormant until the Spirit came in. Do you get this? You understand this? This is how we're made. These are truths we have to understand. This is way better than Doc, Dr. Phil, I can assure you. This is going to help you a lot more than, you know, Oprah, okay? Or Dr. Oz or whoever the new person is of the day. This is, this is Bible. This is gospel. It's important that we understand how we're made. So he forms us. He breathes into us. Life comes from the Spirit. Say with me. Life, life comes, comes through, through the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. no life. What does this mean? I'm born again, so how do I relate this? Okay, you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. But any arena of your life that you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to operate in, there's no life there. If you're not letting the Holy Spirit operate in your marriage, there's no life there. If you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to operate in your finances, there's no life there. If you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to operate in your business, there's no life there. If you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to operate in your emotions, there's no life there. Wherever you are not allowing, you say, I'm born again. Yeah, you're born again and saved. We're talking about not we're not talking about being saved, we're talking about walking in power we're talking about walking in truth. And the only way you can walk in truth and power is by allowing the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in those areas of your life. People don't allow the Lord to rule and reign in lots of areas of their life. And they're Christians. Don't encroach upon my time, Lord. That's mine. That's my time. Don't you dare tell me. Don't you inconvenience me. I deal with that all the time. Christians hate to be inconvenienced. Oh, that inconveniences me. That's not the Lord's will. I feel pain there. <laughs> Just because you feel pain does not mean that's not the Lord's will. You know, that's the point. So why is it important? Life comes from the spirit. We are created to be ruled by the spirit. We're created to be ruled by the spirit, okay? That's the idea. Our confusion, this is what where we get confused. Anybody wanna not be confused? Okay, God help us. There's a confusion upon an entire generation. That confusion is upon the church, a confusion upon the culture. God is not an author of confusion. He's a wisdom and sound mind. Our confusion as Christians come is because we think we're supposed to be led by our appetites. So what my body wants must be what is true, so therefore I follow what my body wants. I feel like I want five pieces of cheesecake, therefore my body wants that. It must be good. Pick an area. We're led by the appetites of the flesh. Okay. I don't think I need to go any further than that. And we think that that's okay. Okay. You are not designed to be led by the appetites of the flesh or better yet. We think Then this is another area. We think that we are to be led by our emotions. Christians think it's OK. Well, whatever I think, whatever I feel and whatever I want, your mind, your will and your emotions, what, that's what leads me. I feel I'm not feeling it anymore. I'm out of here. I don't feel it in this job. I quit. I don't feel it in this marriage. I'm leaving. I don't feel it in this church. I'm leaving. You are led by your emotions and not by the Spirit. And what we do is we self-justify it. Oh, well, maybe it was never God's will that we ever got married. Really? We going there? Are we going there? Huh? Grow up, Christian. What do you mean that's not God's will? Did he bring you together? It's his will. Well, you don't... Would God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, I feel... I feel that I would be happier. I feel... And we train wreck time and time and time again because we lead by emotion and we justify the emotion and we hear Christians are, we're masters at this. Oh, well, the Lord just told me. Well, the Lord just told me. God told me. You know, we're masters of that. We're masters. Come on. Somebody's going to clap for me there, right? (laughs) We're masters of making emotional decisions and putting a spirit on it and saying it was God. Come on. Right? Come on. We're led by our appetites, we're led by our emotions or our will. We're not created to be led by our appetites or our emotions. Things will start turning correctly for you when you begin to operate in the system that God has designed to be led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Daughters of God. What? Who are led by the Spirit? He doesn't say led by the flesh, he doesn't say led by the emotions. We are to walk in the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. You see the, you see the importance of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit has complete reign in this church, man. He has the seat of honor, okay? A lot of churches, oh, you can go out, wait outside the door. If we mention you, Holy Spirit, you can come in. He can do whatever he wants here because there's no life without the Holy Spirit. And so I'm gonna teach you the Holy Spirit all the time because he is the gift. He is the gift. There is more to you than your physical existence. You were not created to live on this plane. Now, here's the deal. Okay, you ready? Because we're going to get into some difficult things, right? We all, say it with me. We all, we all struggle, struggle with fleshly appetites. fleshly appetites. Okay, all of us. We Say this with me. We all, we all struggle, struggle with emotional, with emotional dysfunctions. dysfunctions. Okay, so we're all equal now, right? We're all equal. We all, I got my junk, you got yours, right? You might be able to see my junk you may not be able to see my junk i might be able to see yours but we all got it but just because we have issues of our flesh just because we have issues of our emotions does not mean we need to live there does not mean we need to stay there you understand this he's called you out of that so it's it's okay to struggle it's okay to stumble bible says we stumble in every way so what it, but we all struggle in one way. This is James. This is James. Don't give you James, man. James going to tell you what time it is. You, you, want, you need somebody to tell me what time it is? You just read James. You need some high karate's, Open the book of James. Okay? You feel like you're, you're, James will slap you around. <laughs> Wake up! That's what he does. James says, We all stumble in many ways. So all of us stumble, and all of us stumble in many different ways. Okay? But all of us stumble in one way, and it's with our mouths. So it tells us. So while your stumbling may be different than mine, and we all stumble, we all have issues, we all got an issue with our mouth, okay? That's given, Just give it a little bit of time. (laughs) I tell people all the time, the Bible says this, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, which means stick around here. Kevin's gonna say something really stupid from time to time, okay? Pastor Kevin is probably gonna say something right most of the time, God help me, and sometimes I'm gonna say something dumb. If you're gonna talk, you're gonna say something dumb. It's just eventually, it's it's an inevitability. You are more than your physical existence. We're not to be led by our appetites or our emotions. That doesn't mean we don't have issues. We have issues. We are to be led by the Spirit. God is bringing us out by being led by the Spirit. That's the point. We continue to lead. You trip, you get up. You stumble, you get up. You take a wrong turn, well, then take a right turn. Get back, into the, get back in the game. Keep going. Keep walking in the Spirit. Keep pushing. Deal with your issues. Keep going. He says he made them male and female and blessed them, and he called them Adam. I love this. You know what the word Adam means? It means someone. Huh? Jesus calls you someone. You know what the next question is? What is that? That's the point. That's where the the word human is rooted in the word what? He calls you someone. Well, who am I? That's the point. You are someone to the Lord. He has made you somebody. You're not insignificant. Okay? I don't care what... You know, Uncle Will said, You're 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 not you're someone. You're someone. He made them male and female, bless them and called them Adam. Male and female. This is important. Everybody grab your chair. Okay, we're gonna grab a chair because we're talking about truth. Okay? We're gonna talk about truths of the Bible. We're not gonna talk about truths of the culture. We're gonna talk about truths of the Bible. We're not gonna talk about truths of Facebook. We're gonna talk about truths of the Bible. We're not gonna talk about truths of, you know, whoever. Male and female, he blessed them and he called them someone. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined into his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is an important understanding because this again comes back to our creation. What does it mean? It means God creates us gender specific, not gender neutral, gender specific. He made you a man, he made you a female, he made you that in order. Next slide. Because it teaches us gender dynamics. Gender dynamics within a marriage. Man and woman were created equal. Okay, ladies, you should be really strong when I say this. Okay, because we're going to say it together. But the women, I should hear them really well. God created male and female equal. It's the idea of complementarian. You are equal in standing, equal in stature. You are different in role. Thank you very much. You are different in your roles. She is made differently than you, you are made differently than her in a female-female relationship, and the idea, the Bible doesn't, but the theological term is complementarian, so she is made strong, she is made significant, she is made intelligent, and her gifts are to complement the relationship complement the man. He is made strong. He is made intelligent. He is made significant. He is his gifts and his abilities are to complement the relationship. It's complementarian. Do we get this? To complement one another. The roles are different. The role of the man in scripture is different than the role of the female in scripture. And so we got to understand this. God has created it. And here we go back to the radical servitude. Because if God made it, I'm going to tell you, if God makes the relationship, servitude and love is somewhere in the equation and that is the relationship between the man and the woman is it's radical servitude radical submission and radical honor serving one to the other serving one to the other honoring preferring one to the other and it comes to marriage bible uses the word mutual submission we tend to not where is that one we only go wives submit to your husbands that's the one we focus on it doesn't say that entirely it says mutual submission submit you one to the other in other words in the area of operation of the female gentlemen serve her huh yeah i'm helping you ladies help me help you (laughs) okay the woman in the area of his operation she is to serve him okay real interesting dynamic okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna get i'm gonna give you a general statement i know there's specifics but i'm gonna give you a general statement so in areas of leading the home directionally the responsibility falls to the man. In areas of developing the home, the responsibility falls to the woman. Where the conflict comes in is when we step into roles that are not our own, instead of complementing. So there's conflict, let's use the dudes. Man, I'm your friend. I'm here, my name is Kevin, I'm your friend. Okay, I'm with you, okay, I'm on your side. The role of the man is to directionally lead the home. Two issues, three issues come up. Number one, the man is not directionally leading the home at all. Two, he's directionally leading in a home, the home in a way that does not honor God. Amen. So if he is leading the home in a way that does not honor God, it will never honor the wife. Ever. So either the men do not lead at all and they don't want to do anything. There's no directional vision at all. And what does direction mean? Listen, if you get this one right, you can get, you're going to get the majority right. We're going to church. We're going to serve Jesus. We're going to love God. And we're going to do whatever Jesus says. You're directionally leading. Okay? Slap the man a badge, give him a high five, and put a, you know, do, I mean, that, that, if you can start there, that's a good starting point. Okay? Love God, get your butt in church, and follow the Spirit as a family. Do what Jesus says. The third thing comes in is when the woman does want, wants to conflict with the directional leadership of the man. So those are the conflicts that come in. Then the conflict then the rub comes in is that the woman is called to, ru- to develop the home. And so she's developing the home. And if you don't think this is real, try to say, Lady, hey, honey, I really had a vision last night. I want to paint the inside of our bedroom red. Try that one on. And she goes, I hate red. I'm more into taupe. You know? Who's going to win on that? Where's the conflict coming in? Why is she conflicting with you? Because you're stepping into a domain that belongs to her. Her job is to to develop the home. That's her job. And so husbands walk around, they think that they're the husband. That means they get to dictate everything. That's not what the Bible is saying. It doesn't renounce the leadership of the male, but the responsibility of the man is directional. Do you understand that? Husbands, if you're a husband in this room and you've got a wife, I challenge you to directionally lead that woman. What you're going to see when you happen, when you lead that woman, is she's going to become like a bumblebee. She's going to be like buzzing around you, helping you because you're leading her. And why is she doing that? Because that's what she was designed to do. A strength that assists. Again, we get to the language of the Bible. I'll make for him a helpmate. That's not what it says, oh, she's my helper. She's my helper. It's not what it says. It says she is a strength that helps. Big difference there, right? Do we not see a big difference there? She's strong to you, and in her strength, she helps you. One of the biggest problems, okay, I've been married 25 years, so I'm qualified to speak on the subject, all right? Qualified, what's that means? It means I got lots of battle wounds, lots of scars, okay? Lots of things I did wrong. (laughs) My pants are worn out, going, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, one of the biggest problems is men do not recognize the strengths of their wives. They do not nurture the strength of their wife. You say she's got issues. so do you, brother. Right? Don't we all get in line? We all got issues. We get rid of our issues by walking forward. Walking forward. You are not to suppress the woman. You are to empower her. It's, again, the culture of heaven. Constant empowerment, servitude, and recognition. I served my wife one time. She, man, she serves me ten times for what I serve her. Huh? If, if we get our identity, we're going to get something. If women could get their identity, they, you, women, ladies, you are amplifiers. I say this all the time. God designed you to be that. You amplify. Whatever is plugged into you, you amplify. Good, bad, and ugly, huh? Is there a man in the room that will give me a witness, okay? Right? The woman amplifies. So if you give that woman love and you give that woman servitude, what do you think she's going to amplify back to you? Love and servitude. She's going to amplify it. You give that woman trouble, huh? You, and what does trouble look like for a woman? When a woman doesn't feel like she's loved. Love is her language. You know what the Bible says about a woman who doesn't feel love? It's better to sleep on a roof. That's what Solomon said. I would rather be in a roof of the house than in this house with a woman who's not loved. Your job is to communicate love and servitude to the woman. And that involves a whole other line of teaching, but I'm trying to help you guys out here. The man, when he feels disrespected or dishonored, that creates a big conflict. And that's a whole other dynamic there as well. So the creation is complementarian. This is the essence of power in marriage, is ahad. It means oneness. God's called two to become one. You know what that looks like? Each person lowering themselves beneath the other in mutual servitude and coming together in honor creates a new person. The reason marriage doesn't work is because someone somewhere along the line is not serving the other. Both people have to reduce themselves. You mean, I have to be, you mean I have to not be the man that I am when I get married? Dang straight. That's what the Bible says, Jose. Your life is gone. You had just traded it in. You thought you were getting that beautiful woman. No, you were trading in your very existence. That's why it doesn't work. Because we, when we come to Christ, we try to hold on to the old world, and it doesn't work. We get married, we try to hold on to the new you, the old you, it doesn't work. You decrease. She decreases. You come together and become a whole new person. That's what marriage is. I'm not changing. You're not going to be married long. Not going to be married long. Because, again, I'm talking to you about the created design. I'm talking to you about the created order, the way the Lord has made it. That's where all the tension comes in. The tension comes in through oneness. Two becoming one. We become one. Ehad. When two people, When the husband and the wife are operating as one, there is power. There's power. If you've ever operated in unity and harmony with your wife on anything, I don't care if it's planning a vacation. I mean, wow, that was awesome. I don't know what just happened there between us, but something happened there, and that was amazing. You tapped into the power of oneness. The conflict comes in the friction of oneness. I don't know who this is for. I'm helping somebody out here today on this oneness thing. Are you getting anything out of this, or am I just like, like, I don't agree with you, Kevin.
1: I don't agree with you.
0: Okay, that's fine. You don't agree with me. I'm going to find you out back. I'm going to lay fists on you. (laughs) What do you mean telling me I got to love her? What are you talking about? (laughs) The union between the man and the woman is a blast. Now, here's where it's going to get sticky. According to the Bible, everybody ready for me? You ready? Ready? Sex is to happen within marriage between a man and a woman crickets. Okay. (laughs) Why? Because God has designed it this way. Why? Because that and that alone is what is blessed. The blessing comes through that relationship. Sex between a man and a woman in marriage. So you're trying to tell me, Kevin, that if I go out there and I have sex with girls and I don't marry them, I'm not blessed. Yep. You're trying to tell me, Kevin, that if I'm married and I think I want to go out and have sex with somebody else and form a relationship with someone else, I'm not blessed, yeah? You're trying to tell me that if I have a same-sex attraction and I want to get with this other person that's just like me, that's not blessed, yeah? You're trying to tell me that this is what you're trying to tell me. That's what the Bible says. I'm trying to tell you that's, I, I, I'm not saying that's not what your culture says. I'm not saying that's not what the Supreme Court said. I got news for you. There's a court that's higher than the Supreme Court and it's court, heaven's court, And the reason that this is wrong is it creates severe dysfunction within the design. It's not wrong because God is just morally condemning it. It's wrong because you weren't made to operate that way. We get it? Huh? We go out spreading the love all over town. How do you feel? Not very good. Guilt, shame, condemnation. Well, who brought that? Your action brought... The Bible says all sin is committed outside the body except one the sin that's directly committed against you is sex so when we commit sexual sins outside of the design the bible says you are directly related to that it affects you emotionally spiritually and most often physically one in five people have sexual have sexually transmitted diseases one in five read the statistics i'm not lying (laughs) <laughs> one in five, that's b- more than just six bullets in a gun, so that's like roulette that's like a lot higher than some one in six. One in five. So you don't think it affects us, and we just look at that physically. We can't talk about the emotional damage that's brought about by these things. We can't talk about the spiritual damage and the numbness and the pain that's brought about through these things. So why is God saying it? Because God doesn't want you to have fun. That is not the point at all. It's not the point at all. In fact, with sex within marriage, the Lord says, go for it. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. Undefiled. Read Song of Solomon. Married man and woman get married? I love it. Solomon's like, Awake, north wind. Come, blow upon my garden. What's he talking about? Use your imagination. And she's like, Arise, my pillars! Arise! What's she talking about? And you know what the Lord says? Eat, drink, lovers, be full. Into that moment, the Lord speaks over it. And he says, eat, drink, lovers, be full. God's pro-sex, people. He's for it. He's all for it. In fact, he says, go for it. But it's within the context of his design. We have a nuclear reactor. I use this one all the time. We have a nuclear reactor called Turkey Point. If you take those fuel rods, outside of their design chamber, something's gonna happen and it's not gonna be good, okay? The fusion, the radiation is gonna destroy. So what was meant to produce good, light and power in the sense of a nuclear reaction to create electricity, when it's outside of its domain of operation, it produces death, death. We clear? So I want you guys to understand the context from which God is coming from. Now let me just be clear. We all struggle. Can I get a witness? Okay. We all got issues, all of us, with all of these things. But the point being is that we cannot accept these positions as truths because they are not. And just because I'm struggling and I have sexual issues or I have any number of emotional issues, that that is a reality and I accept that reality, but that does not mean I stay here. This is the breaking point. It's okay to go, I got issues. That's okay. And we as Christians need to be okay with each other having issues because you have issues. We pretend like we don't have any issues. That's why everybody's like, where'd the pastor go? pastor hasn't been here in three months, where'd he go? Where do you think he went? I don't think his wife's living with him anymore. What's going on there? What happened there? What what do you think going on? How could that guy who leads that church, how could he fall? Because they don't want to acknowledge they have any issues. Sin is very clarifying. I got issues. I got issues. I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. And I'm willing to acknowledge I have issues, but what I'm not willing to accept is staying where I'm at. Neither should you. God loves you too much to stay the same. We got issues, man. But he's not done with you, aren't you glad? He loves you like you are. I think of a story, this summer it was going through my head for some reason, so I don't know how I was gonna use it, but I felt like I was gonna use it, so I'm gonna use it here. You guys wanna hear it? <laughs> Why not, right? Um, so here's the deal. Oh. Are we good? You guys good? Yeah? Right. We're good? All right. I'm having a good time. So I don't know if you all are having the same fun I am having. But. So I was coming here this morning, and um, I kept remembering this poem. And we used to work with a lot of broken people. A lot of broken people we still do but when we first started out in ministry my wife and i we worked with a lot of broken people to the degree that the rumor about our church was oh yeah aren't you the guys that work with the crack addicts and the prostitutes and the the people who struggle with same-sex attractions aren't isn't that who you guys are that was our reputation okay it was our reputation and i used to think about that because that was what other pastors would kind of say to me and it would always be it's clean it's not clean it's not clean the gospel's not clean it's not and i was thinking about that in relationship to this poem and over the years my wife and i have worked with people and we have seen human brokenness and in seeing brokenness we recognize our own and we force into other areas we've seen men come out of out of out of sexual addictions multiple times multiple times We've probably led about, over the years, probably 10 people, 10 men who were in the homosexual lifestyle. They not only came to Christ, but began to walk out redemption. What do you know about these things, Kevin? I know a lot about them. I know a lot about them. To the degree that one person comes to Christ, moves out from his boyfriend, and guess what? Moves into my garage. Lives in my garage for two years. Mentor him, coach him, develop him, help him, move him forward. What's your success rate with those 10? These are, what, these are what ministry people would say. What are your success rates with that? About 70%. So we had two of them get married to women. With two of them. They're walking with the Lord. Still got some issues, struggle. We had two of them that died because they had contracted HIV. And we had two of them that uh, just didn't want to walk with Jesus anymore and decided they liked La Vida Loca a little bit better. And so they probably didn't know the Lord, didn't really convert to begin with. But nonetheless... And so I was thinking about this, and there was a poem that was written, and this is for you, and there's a poem that was written about Jesus from an observer's perspective, and it says, it says, um, his kingdom is a kingdom of paupers, uh, simpletons, and rogues. The whores love him, and the drunks propose a toast. And the question, uh, Chris Mullins wrote a song out of it, but it's based on a poem by Branding Manning, and so there's a song, but there's also a poem. And the poem says, why do they say, surely God is with us? They say it because Jesus came for the broken. They say it because if you're a simpleton, Jesus came for you. You say, how do I know him? I say, we're all simpletons, man. Come on, let's just be simple. Let's be simple in our simpletons. The wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of man. We're all simple when it comes to Christ. But Christ came for you. He came for you. He came to take you from where you are into where he's called you to be. Do these sins send people to hell? Here's where we gotta get now, we're gonna get on the road. So if I have you know, uh, some issues sexually or relationally, or you know, I keep doing these habitual things over and over, does that send me to hell? Answer, no. What? No, those sins do not send you to hell. The sin that sends you to hell is a refusal to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ in your life. That's what, that's what condemns us. Now, in acknowledging the Lordship of Christ, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? So now that I'm under the lordship of Christ, what am I called to do? Follow him. What? Out of my sin into his righteousness. Out of what I think into what he thinks. This is the idea. Do, do we get the idea? And so we run around swinging at the branches, telling everybody what's wrong with them. What's wrong with them is they don't have the lordship of Christ in their life. What's wrong with them is they don't have not been given the grace to change. You have the grace to change. Well, what if I fail today? Well, get up and go again. What if I fail 70 times today? Well, get up and go again. Get up and go again. Did you fail 30 times? Get up and go again. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. We call him Lord. Why do we struggle? We acknowledge our dysfunctions and we then deal with the point of pain. This is how we get out of our dysfunctions. But this is important because we have to understand how we're made in a world that's gender confused. You don't think this is a flashpoint for the church? And here's what my fellow pastors are doing. Don't talk about sin, Kevin. Oh, heaven forbid. God forbid we should use the word sin in the church. I don't know why we would ever use that word. Jesus said the Holy Spirit comes to speak on sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit, to minister to the people where they're wrong and how they can get right and what lies for them in the future in light of all of this. It's the whole point. We don't want to talk about, don't you dare talk about sin. Oh, people don't want to like that. Oh, don't talk about issues in the culture. Yet these issues are in the culture. They're teaching your children in school these things right now, whether you know it or not, right? Right or wrong, it's not a moral issue. It's a design issue. The point is is that the Christians should be in the position to understand while the culture is doing this, and this is the way of the culture, what's happened is the church has adopted a position of acceptance on issues with what the Lord says is not right. And we got to get our thinking straight on this. And we got to get our thinking straight, not in the world to point the finger, but to say, look, there's a problem. We are not operating according to our design. We have to be the voice of that. We have to be the voice, not a voice of condemnation, a voice of love, a voice of grace, a voice of bringing out. So on, again, on the issue of homosexuality, which seems to be the, uh, the issue of the day, the person that managed my store for almost 10 years was gay. I had another business, so I had a clothing business for a while, and my general manager of my clothing business was gay. His boyfriend died of AIDS. I was there, okay? I was a Christian. He knew I was a believer. No issues there. On another, on another front, when it came to when I was doing, buying and selling real estate, the mortgage broker that I used for probably seven or eight years, he was gay, and his boyfriend was in the office, and he was a very good friend of mine. Did we see eye to eye? Of course not. He'd laugh at me, I'd laugh at him, right? So do we understand the issue that it's okay? You know, what we do is we think, that it's, we think it's wrong, and here's what happens with the Christian. This, again, is going to go back to the previous point. I think, I feel, I believe, it does not matter what you think, feel, or believe. It matters what the Lord says. And so what happens is, is we, get, we, get, we adopt this idea and we begin to follow our emotions. And we begin to take positions based on emotions because we don't know how to wrestle with the difficult questions. Crickets, crickets, crickets. My name is Kevin. I'm your friend. Okay? I tell you truth. I speak you truth. So you can hate me if you want to but I speak you truth. We all have got issues, so if you struggle in any of these ways, listen, we all struggle. We all struggle. So next slide. You guys want to do one more or you want me to end? Yeah, if you've got to leave. I don't want to keep your prisoner. Somebody said there's a difference between a long sermon and a hostage situation, so I don't want to create a hostage situation. I'm a little over. Okay, we're created for a divine purpose. This, again, what I'm trying to get you to understand is these truths so that you can operate according to your design. And if you've got that, then you're going to operate. Okay, You're created for a divine purpose. Man was created in the garden to work it. He was free from any tree, but he was not free to eat of the tree in the garden. Here again, why is God telling me I can't have that? I want that. Why is he telling me that? Because Adam was created by God as a son. This is the dynamic that God creates. And as a son, he knew God only as Lord. He knew him as Adonai. It says here, the Lord God. So he knew God only as Adonai. He did not know him as father. And so the idea was for Adam to grow into the knowledge of God as father through his obedience. That's the essence of sons and daughters is they're obedient to their father. And we begin to learn and understand who our father is through our obedience. And so Adam was created to learn and to know God through obedience. Everything was his but one thing. He was a son and he learned learned obedience and demonstrated his position through obedience. He was to grow in knowing him as father. Well, how many knows Adam failed? Huh? Adam failed. Adam, again, I'm gonna give you theology so that you can understand. This is an important switch so that you can understand where you are now and who you are, okay? Adam failed. Adam was created as the federal head, which means everything came from him. You and I are physical descendants genetically of Adam. What does that mean? Adam received, Adam was the head of the human race genetically, emotionally, spiritually, everything flows from him before Christ. So people without Jesus, everything that flows through them and from them ultimately has its beginning in Adam. And the first inception, No and I were talking about inceptions, the first inception after Adam fell was fear. Adam became afraid. And he wasn't just afraid, he was afraid of God himself. Adam failed. That failure separates us. We fall, okay? So again, these are truths that have to be understood. So we're descendants of Adam without Christ. Jesus comes, the Bible calls him the last Adam. He comes in the image and the likeness of Adam to perform the work that Adam failed. Why? To create a new federal head so that instead of everything flowing from Adam, everything now would flow from Christ. This is the point. Adam fails. Jesus comes as the last Adam in the office of federal head. He comes to, in the position, the author, He comes to in the office of Adam as the federal head. He comes in the position of Adam. Adam was given the authority on the earth. In case you didn't know that, he asked Jesus for the key. he asked Adam for the keys. Adam basically turned over the keys to the to the human race when he when he fell. So Jesus comes, takes on the office of Adam, takes on the position of Adam with the authority on heaven, with the authority of heaven on Earth. He takes on the purpose of, of Adam, which is to create the culture of heaven on the earth. So Jesus comes as the last Adam in these roles. Next slide, last slide, I promise. I think. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> Even though Jesus came, and I want to show you this because this is important. Even though Jesus came, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered in this way. God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of our eternal salvation for all who obey him. What does this mean? Jesus was a son positionally and people have a struggle with this. They're like, if Jesus was God, then why did he learn anything? Why did he have to learn anything? We're going to go back to language. We're going to understand what the language is saying when it says Jesus learned. So Jesus came into the world in the office of Adam, born of God as Adam was, born through a woman. He comes into this and he obtains the fullness of a son by operating to the father by obedience. Do you understand that? He became the son because he became obedient. Obedient to the death of the cross. All of this is to create a new reality, a new flow for your life so that you are now in Christ and in him everything flows. So you can understand that that's who you are and everything you draw from, you draw from him. The idea of obedience means to come under the spoken word. So when he learned, which means he obtained the fullness of his position because he he came under the spoken word. Through obedience, Jesus obtained fullness. What does that say? That through our obedience, we obtain fullness. It says he suffered. And people i have heard it taught that Jesus had to be beaten so that he would learn something. That's not what it says. It's the Greek word paxos. It doesn't mean physical pain. It means emotional pain. So Jesus obtained the fullness of his position, of, of, of our federal head, not his, hidden, not his heavenly position. He earned the right to be the leader of the human race in the sense of those who are born again through him. He earned the right to be your Lord because he came under the authority and he suffered a terrible emotional experience. Can anybody tell me where Jesus had an emotional experience where he was really in pain emotionally? Anybody? The garden. The garden. What was the emotional pain over? It was the wrestling of will. So Adam did not submit his will unto the Father. You understand? God said don't do it. Adam says that's too bad. I want it. Jesus submits his will unto the Father. Why did he do this? Because sonship is demonstrated through obedience, and here it is, coming in, bringing it home, landing a plane, okay? So if we're going to walk out who we are, what it's going to require, it's going to require this word paxos. For you to obey the Lord and to follow the Lord, it's going to cause you emotional pain. Not in a sense of trauma, but in a sense of what you want, right? You ever see a kid that doesn't get what they want in the toy store? You ever see that? I wanted mommy! Ah! It's causing that child emotional pain because he can't have the Teletubby doll. right? Mommy doesn't want to buy him the Teletubby doll, so he's freaking out and he looks like he's in emotional pain. This is what it looks like when we follow the Lord. So we have to understand that sometimes when we follow the Lord, it's, we're not, you're not always going to want to. But what you're doing in doing so is you are proving your sonship. You are proving your, your, your daughtership because our fullness is obtained not just through Christ, but we like Christ, we obtain the fullness of who we are. So to, to, in other words, there's lots of things that we want to do. Can we agree? Lots of things we want to do The God says, that's not a good idea. You, I don't want you doing that. And that causes us emotional pain. But what God is actually saying when he says no, anytime the father says no, it's because he's saving something for you from something. He doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. So when he knows that come from the Lord is because he's, got, he's keeping you from something that will either harm you or that you're not quite ready for. Why does this matter? Because you and I obtain the fullness of our position through obedience. What did Jesus do when he accomplished this? What did he do? He, he positioned himself now as your Lord. And in doing so, everything comes from him this is important because christians don't understand they put jesus over here and then they just go off and do what they want and they come and worship jesus on sunday and then they just go off and do what they want they don't understand the intimacy of the relationship they don't understand that they have a new identity in him and that everything is the flow to, from that from him and so the development of that relationship is very important you guys get this right was this too deep <laughs> Oh, man, I just put it out there, okay, I just shoot threes, that's all I do, I just shoot threes, <laughs> they asked one of the Heat players, by the way, the Heat's playing tonight, go Heat, so um, they asked one of them, they said, what do you do, when you, what are you thinking when you're shooting threes, he, you know what he said, I just let it fly, I just let it fly, so I'm just letting it fly, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, this is important for you, God loves you, he has so much for you, I'm trying to bring you guys into a greater understanding of what the Lord is doing, what his heart is, and the whys. So many times as a church, we don't explain the whys. What does that mean? Why is that?